Hello, you've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. It's good to have you join us. You know, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will turn from their, not evil ways, their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll heal their land, forgive their sin. Wicked, wicked is when you know what's, you know where straight is. You, and you go mostly there, but then you compromise. We're on a search for wisdom, and Dr. Corbett has us anchored in the book of Proverbs. As you read Proverbs, you will discover some wonderfully poetic language. How do we translate that poetic language into a roadmap for living? Let's find out how as we join Dr. Corbett now in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, and then we're going to ask God to speak to us and invite him to open up his word to our heart. This is not a passive activity. Don't think you are just now sitting back to listen. You are not. You are entering in and perhaps you are a mature believer today and you know that, as I've heard the old timers say, sometimes when the preacher's not doing so well, they just pray harder and he picks his game up. So this is a partnership we're involved with here today and... I trust that God will, will speak. Over the years, as I have sought to prophesy God's word, I've got into different types of trouble in doing that. And one of the prayers of my heart is, God, let me speak in a way that I take your word, both written and fresh, and speak it right into people's hearts. And over the years, I've got in all kinds of trouble where I remember once I spoke in a church in Melbourne and I had a woman come up to me and she almost finger boned me into the chest and said, how dare you? How dare you do that this morning? And, and I just kind of had no idea what she was talking about. I brought my friends here today and you had to go and tell the church exactly what they're going through. How dare you? To this day, I still have no idea what I said. And recently in America, just every meeting, same thing. People came up and said, who told you? So today, uh, if, if you hear things and you think, uh, someone's told him. Um, to, to the best of my knowledge, that's not true. Although I did, I, I, I did tell someone that if they brought their friend, I would give them heaps of words of knowledge and prophesy over them and completely embarrass them. But that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. So it's not something I do intentionally. But maybe God will speak to you today. And I think that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, that when the Spirit of God is moving and the spirit of prophecy, which can be disguised as preaching, which is what I'm trying to do, can move, it says the secrets of men's hearts will be laid bare. So that your response is not to finger bone me in the chest after this morning. It is to maybe go and do some business with God. God is in the business of saving, healing, redeeming, restoring and setting people free, even today. And I want to get with that program and allow God to have his way in my life. We do have the cure for the disease and there is no other cure and it's it's not an ordinary pill it's the gospel do you like that 
the gospel. <laughs> Someone's already starting to pray. <laughs> but, it, but we do, don't we? we? We actually really do. Imagine having the cure for a, debil- a debilitating cancer, not that any cancer is particularly not debilitating, but imagine having that cure. You're in the presence of someone who's got that cancer and they tell you the pain and anguish they're in and the trouble they're in. You've got the cure right in your pocket. It's in it. Just a tablet. You just give them a tablet and you just don't. You don't even tell them you've got it. Isn't that kind of like the gospel and the way it can remedy sin and brokenness in people's lives? Isn't it? And so we... we we are playing with, with life and death here. Someone, someone recently said, and I, I, I liked it, they, they said this, life is one of the only games you begin to play where you are guaranteed not to come out alive. Therefore, do not play it half-hearted. Do not throw it away. Do not play this game in a way where you set yourself up to lose. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to take the wisdom, accumulated wisdom of the ages recorded in this book and speak to our hearts. Lord, do a work in my heart. Help me to feel. Help me to think. Help me to sense your feeling, your thoughts, your impressions. Now, Lord, as we take your word, may it illuminate our hearts and minds. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 8 is where we're going to go through in just a moment. I want to sort of ramp up to this, looking at very quickly the first seven chapters so that we can see kind of how we got to this chapter And the book of Proverbs is our homework for the month. We're in Wisdom Month. We're looking at how we can become proverbial. Proverbial people, proverbial families, proverbial church. And proverbial is is just a gem of wisdom. It's something that's so practical that you could be really not... you, You may not have achieved a high level of academic success in your life but if you if you will learn to be wise you can be smarter than many people with phds and maybe some of you have met people with phds and they are quite simply not that bright but a person who is wise and we're going to see that this is what the book itself says this This book, 31 chapters of Proverbs, is broken into sections that make for a great start to the day. And I trust that this month, as we opened up on the first of the month and we looked at Proverbs chapter 1 and I introduced to you some of the background and I tried to put it in a contemporary setting, I want to carry that contemporary setting through to this chapter. I mentioned to you that perhaps the first... Uh, 24 chapters or so of this 31 chapter biblical book is written largely attributed to King Solomon. And we know that King Solomon took the throne when he was about 19 years of age. And at 19 years of age, 
he had one of the most unusual yet profound dreams anyone could ever have. You recall he went down to uh, Gibeah, I think it was, and where, where he was going to sacrifice. And when, when he was there, having just been appointed king, God appeared to him in a dream. Now, this is interesting on a couple of levels. I, I guess if I, if I was to ask you, who would like to hear clearly from God? Just a rhetorical question. Who would like to hear clearly from God? I, I guess I could probably get... Me? Yeah, I'm not so sure. I think there are some people that actually would rather at this point in their life not hear from God. Just let that thought hang for a minute. So let me ask the question again, having couched like that. If, if you... If you could, would you? Would you want to hear from God clearly? And be careful how you answer. Paul Kelly wrote a song, Be Careful What You Pray For, because you just may get it. If God spoke to you, firstly, would you, would you be open to what he had to say? Secondly, would you recognise that it was God? What we're going to see in these chapters of Proverbs, these First seven, and we'll, look, we'll finish up looking at eight today. But we, we find this remarkable association, and it's this. Wisdom is the word of God. Wisdom is the word of God. In, in, in fact, it says wisdom is the voice of God. It's a voice. And if you do a particular study on the expression, the voice, you will find that God's voice was carried through Moses, it was then prophesied, behold, Isaiah had the voice, and Isaiah the prophet said, behold, a voice crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist came, and he was the voice of, what is it, the bridegroom, I think Jesus said. And then Jesus continued the voice. And today that voice, according to Scripture, is one that cries out, it yells, it is at the street corner begging for your attention. And here is the amazing thing. Most will miss it. And so we find Proverbs, in, in Proverbs chapter 7, it, it says uh, somewhere in there about finding wisdom. Um, and this is, this is just, it's, it's amazing. If you find wisdom, you know, because I would think, here's a picture of wisdom, and we're going to see in chapter 8 that the concept is now going to be introduced that wisdom is like a woman, a gorgeous woman. Gorgeous, not in a cheap sense, gorgeous in a very, very elegant very, very beautiful in the purest sense of the word. The picture of a beautiful woman standing on the street corner calling for people and people just passing her by. And it's a bizarre picture. 
Because I, I, could, I could guarantee if we, had the, if we had a beautiful woman in the, in, in the streets of our city of Launceston and she was calling out, crying out, someone come and listen to me. I, I, I reckon there'd be a crowd. I reckon. But so here's the thing about the voice of God. It, it, it is intrinsically spiritual. We, we are created in the image of a God who is spirit. And there is something about us that is spiritual. It was C.S. Lewis who said, We are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. There is something deeply intrinsic about our spiritual nature. And the Bible says that sin has done something to that. It has caused us to become deaf. It has caused us to become blind. And it has even caused us to die. And so, little wonder that we have the walking dead, the walking blind and deaf dead who cannot hear God calling. It takes a miracle to go from being deaf, blind and dead to being able to hear, able to see and able to live. It takes a miracle. And this is how you can tell if that miracle has begun in your life. You recognise you are blind, deaf and dead. If you are sensing that, if you sense there is something missing in my life, I guarantee you God is already at work in your heart. You are beginning to hear a beautiful woman cry on a street corner. Now this, this book of Proverbs, it's a collection of wise sayings, which is what a proverb is. It's, it's written in what's kind of a Hebrew form of poetry. And we, we have these opening... Uh, nine chapters, and we're looking at chapter 8 today, but the opening nine chapters is really Solomon remembering the times he had with his dad. The times when David, his dad, would take him as a, as a young boy. And remember, Solomon became king when he was 19. And, and when the Lord appeared to him in this dream, he'd had 19 years of his dad sitting him on his knee and saying, listen to me, son, don't make the mistakes I've made. Here's, here's what you need to avoid in life. 19 years of that. And you think, oh no, not 19 years. He surely would have started when he was old enough to understand. Too late. Any parent will tell you, you want to train your kids, you train them when they... Well, actually, we, we, we decided that we were going to do a little bit of kind of Christian New Age stuff. We started speaking to our kids in the womb. Gee, I, I, I was just interested to see what the response would be. It's like, we, I actually we, I, we started praying for our children when they were in the womb. I started, I remember when, we, when Kim, when we were pregnant, yeah, it's easy to say, when Kim was pregnant with Tyrone, we came up to a train crossing. And I thought, well, it's about time he started to stretch his vocabulary. You know, Kim was six months pregnant or whatever. I just turned across and said, now, Tyrone, what you're hearing now is a train. Then I realised, I don't want the poor kid to grow up thinking there's only one type of train. 
So I had to teach him in the womb that there's a different type of train, which is the, the train that flows along a woman's dress. But then I thought, oh, I don't want the poor kid thinking that's the only type of train. Then I said, but train is also not just a noun. The, and then I thought, noun. Well, I had to teach him what nouns were. Then train is also a verb, something you do. So now if you ask Tyron what a train is, he gets this twitch now today. It's like... <laughs> But the moment my son was born, I held him and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry and I went into uncontrolled response. I don't know how, parents, you responded to the birth of your first child. I went into emotional freefall and I held Tyrone, I'm laughing and crying uncontrollably and I couldn't control either. And I began to speak to my son, I began to pour into him from, from the get-go. Well, I think David would have done that because if you know the circumstances that Solomon was born, I've heard people mistakenly think that Solomon was the illegitimate child of David and Bathsheba. That's actually not true, is it? Because remember that illegitimate child died? Remember? And Solomon and... Uh, sorry, David and, and Bathsheba married and Solomon was the result of, of their marriage. And, and this was David's last child, the child in his old age. And David died when, what, he was 70, 72 or something like that. And, and so in those final years where he had his son, he, he would have been teaching him. Now, there's, a, there's something about that. As I read through Proverbs, I, this expression occurs in, in the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs, Listen to me, my son. It says it in various ways. Hear, my son. Listen to me, my son. Pay attention to what I'm saying, my son. Sounds like training, doesn't it? It sounds like a parent teaching. And if you're a dad, you've got a, a tremendous privilege to be able to do that to your children, to be able to pastor each of your children. And uh, I, I try and do that with each of my children, spend individual time with them, and, and talk to them. And I, and I ask the pastoral questions. And I hope you as parents do. I hope you ask, where are you up to in your Bible reading? What are you praying for at the moment? What can I pray for you at the moment? Well, David and Solomon had this father-son pastoral bond. And we have the first seven chapters where Solomon is retelling the story from David's perspective, and, and when I shared how I could put this in a contemporary setting, I, I told you the story of a, of a father who had five sons. And after the tragic death of his wife, his four eldest sons went wayward and brought great heartache to him. And eventually, despite his pleadings with them, they suffered a, a premature death in a, in a criminal activity. And the father, now without his wife, now without his children, takes his young boy and begins to pour his heart into the only thing he's got left. And we read in these opening chapters, this is somewhat the scene with David and Solomon. And we read in these first seven chapters a father talking to his prepubescent boy, his teenage boy, about 
the dangers of adultery. In fact, every, every chapter talks about the dangers of illicit sexual activity. And, and, and I wonder in a world where sex is a recreation, sex is a plaything, sex is a, you know, just nothing too much to it, if we miss, if we miss the full weight of what the Bible is telling us. Sex is deeply and intrinsically spiritual. It is the physical act of the highest order. It is an act of physical intimacy that demands the highest level of commitment. So we see, I think, in the second chapter where it talks about uh, the adulterous woman where she forsakes the covenant she made, not just with her husband. There it is, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. It says she forgets the covenant of or with her God. So when two people get married, they don't just form a covenant with each other. They form a covenant with two other people, the one they're marrying and God. And God doesn't become my God. God becomes our God. So we have in the picture of marriage, God, the man, the woman. Three distinct people coming together as the Bible word is one. It's a picture of the Trinity. God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit in eternal fellowship with each other. This is why marriage cannot be between two people of the same gender. Because marriage is meant to be a reflection of who God is. We have in these first seven chapters this father talking about how if you, if you sacrifice your marriage, if you sabotage your marriage, you will be like, he says in chapter 7, Proverbs 7, you will be like a stag lured by a delicate food source. You'll be caught in a trap and then the hunter called folly, and we are introduced to this hunter in chapter 9, will take her bow and arrow and kill you. That's what this father is telling his son. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But this is also a part of the point. Wisdom warns. Wisdom is therefore both positive. This is what you should do. Here's my advice. Here's how you should live. But wisdom is also negative. Don't do this. And we see in a moment that wisdom is not only negative, it is desperately negative. It is prepared to block your path. You will have to push wisdom out of the way to commit your folly. So here we have chapter 1. Wisdom is pictured as someone crying on the street corners. Come home. Come back to me. In chapter 2, here's... Here's the dangers. Wisdom saying, don't do this. In, in chapter 3, we have wisdom saying, look, don't look here. Look up. Give your life completely to God. Put God first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Chapter 4, my son, listen, pay attention to my words. Give me your heart and I will grant you understanding. In chapter 5, we have the, the, the continued story of, of wisdom saying, if you seek for it, you'll find it. In chapter 6, again, we have this message. Do not be led astray. There are so many things that will keep you from finding God and his wisdom. 
Don't be led astray by, and in chapter 7, the words are strong. You get led astray by folly, you get enticed by illicit sexual activity, and you will pay a price. And the proverbial writer says the price will be Sheol, which is a nice way of saying hell. Powerful language. So now we come to chapter 8. Come with me. Chapter 8, verse 1. We're now going to read a summary of the first seven chapters. It says, Does not wisdom call? Remember, here's Proverbs chapter 1. Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Verse 4, To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. Oh, simple ones. Listen, this is what she's crying. Learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Now, see, this is a summary of the first five chapters or so of what we've just read. And what we're, what's now happening is a Hebrew poetic style called parallelism. It's a literary device. And it says this, I will not speak wickedness, neither will I speak crooked, twisted, twisted words. Something is said, and then something else is said that echoes. It's like an echo. This is said, then this echoes it. What does wickedness mean? Wickedness means a little twist. It, it was actually an archery term. Actually, there's a lot of Bible concepts that are actually archery concepts. An arrow can look straight, but how do you know it's straight? You can look down, it kind of looks straight. This is how the ancients would test arrows. They would fire it, and if it went straight and then phew, missed the target, they said, oh, that's a wicked arrow. It's got a kink in it, a little twist, kink. And wickedness in Scripture is when someone lives mostly straight, but then there's this little... You know, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will turn from their, not evil ways, their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll heal their land, forgive their sin. Wicked, wicked is when you know, what's, you know where straight is. You, and you go mostly there, but then you compromise. Wicked. Proverbs says, I hate wickedness. I hate it. Wisdom. Wisdom teaches us what to hate. If you want to love God, you've got to become a really good hater. Hate the stuff that should be hated. Wisdom hates wickedness. Verse 9, they are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. These are all the things that can distract you from putting God first in your life. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So now we're, we're, in this chapter, he, the, the writer is about to summarise the first seven chapters, and he's been in every chapter talking about the wiles of a forbidden, wayward, adulterous woman, one who will destroy your soul. And now the writer is going to say, instead of desiring the beauty of that woman, let me give you a different woman to desire. One you can desire. 
And he's going to personify wisdom as that beautiful woman. And it's, this is the introduction to this concept now. This is what it says. Verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is what of evil? See that? Hatred of evil. You, you, you want to think about your life prayer. Perhaps in the home groups we've been challenging people to think about a life prayer. It's something you pray regularly. Perhaps if not every day you pray this. And here's a good part of that life prayer. God, help me to hate evil and sin. Help me to hate it. Learn to hate well. If we want to be a really loving church, we've got to be a really good hating church. But please do not take me out of context. We've got to hate what needs to be hated. We should hate injustice. We should hate the things that ruin and destroy people. Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Wow. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign. And rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honour are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Uh, a few times my children have, you know, we've asked this question of us to give you a million dollars, which is... Never going to happen. But if I did, what would you do with it? What would you do with a million dollars? And sometimes my children have, have come back and, and, and given you know, quite thoughtful answers, which I really appreciate. And sometimes they, you know, my children have come and said, Dad, could I borrow 50 bucks? I said, I'm going to give you something better than 50 bucks. What's that, Dad? I'm going to give you a piece of advice worth thousands. <laughs> There's parents writing this down. This could be a parenting lesson right here. And so wisdom says, what I have to tell you is better than silver. It's better than gold. It's better than diamonds. It's better than precious jewels. Look at, look at verse 17. I love those who love me and those who seek me, how? Diligently will find me. See, I, I find that amazing that God says he needs to be found. And, and you, God knows, God's not lost. He knows where he is. So there's obviously some, there's something God's trying to say here that would be easy to miss. What is he saying? If you think I can just be in the background of your life and you can live a wicked life, you have got me all wrong. You must not align your life that way with me over here, but you must align your life with me as the focus of your life. If you find me, find God, find God's wisdom. So here's what we're going to see, hopefully, as we look through the book of Proverbs from here on through. And it's this. Where do you find wisdom? Where do you find wisdom? Here's 10 sources that the book of Proverbs tells us will be sources of wisdom. We've seen most of these in the first seven chapters, but here they are. Number one, instruction. Wisdom comes from instruction. Number two, wisdom comes from advice imparted. Someone imparts advice. Number three, wisdom comes from experience. 
That can be someone's positive experience, but more often than not, someone's negative experience. Fourthly, wisdom can come from counsel. What's counsel? Well, counsel's the advice you actually seek and ask for. You actually ask for it. Counsel comes usually from someone that you've, you've asked for their advice. Fifthly, wisdom comes from prayer. Wisdom comes, number six, from observation. Observation of others, observation of nature. At times we're going to read the writer of, one of the writers of Proverbs says, go and just, just take the afternoon off and go and consider the ant. And it says you'll learn wisdom. Consider the ant. It comes from observation. Number seven, it comes from parental guidance. Parental guidance. Number eight, it comes from the example of the wise. Number nine, wisdom comes from experimentation. You ever read in Proverbs where it talks about casting lots? Casting lots? Sounds like a bit of a risk, doesn't it? Experiment. It's almost like God is saying, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do here. I want you to think about it. Come up with what you think is the best answer. Have a go. And if it's not, correct it. Experimentation. And 10, wisdom can come as the gift of God. God could just give it to you. But notice, I've deliberately put that one number 10. Because I think that's about the order it comes in. Wisdom comes when you work. Work at getting instructed, work at getting advice, work at getting counsel, work at praying, work at observing, work at listening to your parents, work at watching those who model good wisdom. All right, so that's where wisdom comes from. All right, so we're now verse 22, and this is where it gets controversial. And the reason it gets controversial is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, and particularly verse 24... It says, Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our wisdom. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, based on that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, and what we're about to read from Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 down, that this here in Proverbs is actually talking about the creation of Jesus Christ. So let's read it. And then talk about it. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first from the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its field or the first of the dust of the earth. When he established the heavens... I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman and daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses will tell us that's a description of the Father creating Jesus. Here's the problem. What the, the, the huge error they are committing in doing that 
is taking an analogy and taking it beyond the point. What is the point of this analogy? The point is this. God has always been wise. Can you see that? Can you see that's the point? Before God did anything, he was wise. That's really how it summarised that section. So think about this. Was there ever, ever a time when God was not wise? Of course not. So when we read language here that sounds like God was going, gee, I'm done. Oh, I know, I'll create wisdom. Can you see why that cannot be what this is saying? But can you see how this is poetic language? It's like saying, I mean, if you take this in a wooden literal sense and you read the rest of the Bible like this, what are you going to do when you read, the Lord is my strong tower? The Lord is my rock. What picture have you got of God? See, you can't, you can't take this in a wooden, literal sense. What's it saying? Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Jesus is wisdom. He is wisdom. If you want to know how to live a wise life that brings blessing and favour and joy, give your life to Jesus Christ continually. Give your life to Christ. There is never a point when God was not wise. Never. And so what we have here is poetry saying God has always been wise. Look at the last part of this and let's see if we can take this to heart. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside the doors. Whoever finds me, you see, there it is again. Whoever finds me. It's like, it's like saying, well, if God, wants, if God wants to show himself to me, he can just jolly well do it, otherwise I'm just going to get on with my life. Don't think like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, if God wants to fill me with his spirit, he can just do it. No, seek it. Seek what God has for you. And God wants for you to be wise probably more than most things he wants for you and he says seek it so that you can find it well i just don't feel god in my life i don't feel a great passion for god in my life well do something about it let's pray father we need you we really do god i pray that you would give me the grace to be able to pastor these people pastor this church speak your word in a way Lord, that nourishes souls in a way, Lord, that stirs hearts, in a way, Lord, that is prophetic to the secret components, those secret parts, those hidden issues of human hearts. Now, Lord, today, if there are those listening to me right now, and the only thing they feel is guilt and shame, the only thing they feel is that God is a million miles away. Lord, I pray that you would show them now by your spirit that they may be a million miles away, but they are only one step away from you. And it's a step back to you. And if that's you right now, you do feel a million miles away from God. I've got great news for you. You are just one step away from God. 
Step toward God, seek God, invite God. Something that sounds like this, God, I need you in my life. Please come into my heart. Forgive me for what I've done. Take away my shame and my guilt. Cleanse me. Wash me spiritually clean. And help me from this day to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Translating the poetic language of Scripture into a roadmap for living, Dr. Corbett continues in Proverbs next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, A Proverbial Search for Wisdom, Part 2, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.